Hi, I'm John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast featuring Caroline D.R.T. Edwards, a co-director of Fortuna Admissions and the former admissions head at NCOD, and Maria Wickvilla, who is the founder of Applicant Lab, and a Harvard MBA who earlier had a career in media. So, boy, this is a crazy time. It's been a crazy time for a while. Yeah. But people are beginning to get cranky. I think, you know, being locked up for five weeks, six weeks <laughs> is making a little, you know, people a little stir crazy. Don't you think, Caroline? Well, I don't think it does anyone's mental health any good, that's for sure. Now, I know Caroline is running four miles a day. I read on her Facebook page yesterday, (laughs) which makes me feel like a total slacker. Come on, John. Come out running with me. (laughs) Caroline, is this like outside or are you just like going back and forth down a hallway in your house? I I live up in the hills just above the Stanford campus and and we have beautiful trails. So I've been enjoying that. Nice. It is beautiful out there. It really is. Yeah. So people are getting cranky. You know, Kellogg announced that, and, and this is really almost a humanitarian move. <laughs> it heard from prospective applicants, panic, fear, frustration, because they couldn't get to a test center to take a test. The at-home solutions are, are only still rolling out, and, you know, the jury's out on them. In fact, the GMAT test isn't even out there to be taken yet. We'll be on the 20th of April. And then when you take it, incidentally, you have to wait seven full business days to even get your result. So Kellogg decided, okay, we're going to waive GMATs, GREs, TOEFL tests, and we're even going to allow people who were rejected in rounds one and rounds two to come back to us for reconsideration. And yes, no doubt it was a bold move, but now there is a building backlash, which is shocking to me. Understandable on one level, because people who took the effort to get a GMAT or a GRE exam, and we know that's no easy thing, studying for it, prepping for it, getting a good mark, are a little angry that other people might be able to get into the class without one. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think schools always have tricky relationships with their stakeholders. And, you know, I certainly experienced that at INSEAD. There are plenty of people who have strong opinions about policy changes at schools and True. there'll always be people who you know knocking down the dean's door to express their views on you know the latest updates and changes but you know i can see how it doesn't look good at first glance and that you know it would be frustrating for people who have taken the test and you know put all that effort in and you know there are branding concerns image concerns and you know i heard that expressed yesterday by a colleague who's a kellogg alum also, I spoke to, to an admissions director at a school yesterday, and, and she said, you know, it, it looks like an act of desperation. They're really wondering why the school has done this. But, you know, as you covered in, in P&Q, John, you know, they are looking to make things a bit easier for people in a very, very difficult context. And the online test is not as straightforward as, you know, it, it could have been with some of the, the rules and regulations that are imposed for the GMAT and so, you know, that, that may be an issue for certain people, whether they can access that test or not. So I understand why they're doing that. And at the end of the day, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see what their class stats are like. It may be a wise move that it'll, it'll give them access to a wider pool. And 
you know, they'll have a lot of applicants, they'll be able to cherry pick the best from that pool. So at the end of the day, you know, it might be a great move for building a strong applicant pool and, and having a great class. True. Maria, if you were a, a Kellogg alum, would you think that the brand was being diminished by this move? I wouldn't because I don't think that the GMAT score is necessarily the be all and end all indicator of where someone is going to go professionally. So, you know, I think we've chatted about this before. The GMAT score is definitely an indicator of, you know, it's been correlated to your ability to succeed in the first year curriculum in terms of the academics. But I, I think some of the most successful people I certainly know from business school maybe didn't do that great on the GMAT, but have gone on to, you know, kick some serious backside in their careers ever since. And so I think to the extent that the school, at the end of the day, what the school is looking for are people who are going to go out into the world and do amazing things and get accolades for those amazing things. So then that way the school's brand will be enhanced. And so to the extent that I do not believe that the GMAT, I think it's a useful tool for sure, but I don't think it is the be all and end all of determining a candidate's you know, the quality of a candidate in terms of their long-term career trajectory. So I would put my faith in the admissions office to be able to uh, suss out great candidates without that one data point. Yeah. And I just feel that schools have been over-indexing GMAT scores largely because of rankings. Mm -hmm. And Kellogg with an average 730 is behind only, you know, Stanford and Harvard. Yes. Actually, Stanford and Wharton, it's tied with Harvard. So I even think the GMAT average at Kellogg is way too high and gives me some doubts about their claims of doing a holistic review of candidates. Because if you did, I can't see how you get a 730 average uh, over a class, frankly. So I'm, I'm happy that they're waiving the GMAT, the GREs. And the fact that they're willing to reconsider people who were rejected in the same admission cycle is mm. really unusual. It is. It's unprecedented. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say this, I listened to a webinar earlier in the week and heard the admissions director at MIT Sloan agree that she too would be open to appeals from candidates who've been rejected in earlier yes. rounds. Indeed. And, and yeah. I think Caroline, off when we were offline, you were making the point that schools make accommodations individually on a case-by-case basis, yes. even though they don't have to advertise it. Yes, and I'm sure that school, other schools are doing this. I think Kellogg has just been more open about it. Right. But I'm absolutely sure, you know, as you heard from MIT, I'm sure other schools as well that have never done this before are now much more open to appeals from, from candidates who've been rejected. And I'm sure that, um, you know, they may even be proactively going back and looking at their earlier applicant pool and reaching out to people. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Another part of the crankiness that's emerged has occurred with the uh, new GMAT at home test. So one of the restrictions GMAT is placing on test takers at home is the fact that you cannot use a notebook to just do some scratch calculations or even a whiteboard with a felt pen, which is allowed by GRE in their at-home exam. And people are outraged by this, really frustrated. You can't go to any of the you know business school community sites and not see any number of dozens of comments of people who are really angry about it. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I I think they're going to have to review that decision. You know, as as um, candidates have commented, it's going to be very difficult for people to take the test. That's not how they've been preparing. That's not how people have taken the test before. So it seems like a strange move 
by GMAC. So, you know, this is just the start of the process. I think, you know, it's greatly to their credit that they managed to get this off the ground so quickly, right? I mean, it's just been a matter of a few weeks that they've had to, to get this off the ground. And so it's understandable that there will be some teething problems given the timescale of the launch. This seems like a detail that hasn't been well thought through. So I would expect that they will review this and they'll have to to, to change that because I don't think it's going to be acceptable for, for candidates. And, you know, the schools need this to work, right? The schools are, are looking to GMAC to provide an option for this interim period when the test centers can't open. And, this, you know, the schools want the candidates to be able to take the test and be able to submit something, you know, and proceed with their applications. And so I expect they'll get pressure, not just from candidates, also from the schools to sort this out. True. Maria, when you took your GMAT, I bet you you used a scratch pad. Oh, I certainly did. I am a hugely visual <laughs> learner. I Even in this day and age of app everything, I still keep like a, a paper, you know, agenda. I have I have always used multiple colored pens. Like I am super <laughs> uh, a, a very writing down type of person. Well, I've watched your videos, imagine. as you well know, and I, and I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I, it was funny, like as, as recently as a couple days ago, you know, I had people reaching out to me and saying, well, you know, should I take the GRE? Should I take the GMAT online? And I was like, oh, you know, GMAT, they're going to come out with something soon. Like just hang on and then maybe look into taking that. But now I think without a scratch pad, I personally, my score, I think would have been severely, severely damaged by the ability to not put pen to paper. So I am now telling people like, maybe don't maybe take the GR. I know you might have been studying for the GMAT for a while. This isn't what you want to hear, but I think people need to ask themselves, what's going to handicap me worse? Is it going to be switching from the GMAT to the GRE, which you know has very different types of questions in some ways, or is not being able to write going to damage me more? And for me, I think, you know, again, I am so, I am so sort of scarily dependent upon writing things down with, you know, that I just, I think I would switch. <laughs> I would switch to the GRE. And I, I think this crankiness kind of started with the demands for tuition refunds for online classes mm. that occurred at Stanford, Wharton, Harvard, and other schools. And I, I also think it's kind of getting, uh, it's gonna, we're going to see a whole new rise of this when schools make clear the deferral policies for the upcoming fall term. One of the issues, obviously, is if you're an international candidate, you can't get a student visa. Uh, maybe you will be able to, maybe it'll clear up in a couple of months, but right now you can't even go to an embassy and apply. So it's looking very unlikely that if, in fact, school starts on campus in a physical classroom, you'll be able to be here, which means the schools are getting ready to broadcast those classes, even if they are allowed to open campus. And if you don't take the online option and you're an international student, it's very unlikely you're going to get a deferral. Kellogg has said that if you want a deferral, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to get one. Forget about it. Instead, we'll waive the application fee and simply roll over your application into the next admission cycle. Well, that's not going to be a very uh, happy circumstance for many international applicants who already know that they've been admitted to a program and now it's gone. Right? I mean, Maria, what, what, how would you feel about that? I mean, it's it's just a mess all around, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's really what a what a what a frustrating situation to be in, right? You work so hard on every facet of this application. You finally get in, and now it's like womp womp. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I don't know. I feel for everyone right now going through this process, the schools and the applicants. It's true. Uh, but I think, I think for the international applicants in particular, I just, my heart is breaking for them. And Caroline, having been on the other side as an admissions director, you know, yeah. you have to fill a class and, and those decisions to craft a class are really, they, they loom large in the committee meeting. Yes. And and then to have Absolutely. it all break apart if people want to defer because they don't want to undertake the first term online, it does complicate things for the school. It, it does. And it can really make, you know, mess up the class composition and the class numbers. And so I think they're trying to tread a very fine line here. They can't afford to say, um, we're open to deferral requests because then, you know, they'll be inundated with those requests. Everyone will want to re- defer or, you know, a big chunk of students will. And they, they won't be able to fill their full class. And then, you know, that, that messes up also admissions for the next season because a whole bunch of your seats are taken already. So I think they have to, in the external communications, they have to be quite strict about this. But I think that in practice, they'll be looking at this on a one-on-one basis and dealing with people individually and everyone will have different circumstances. Some people will have you know, a better reason than others for asking for a deferral, more challenging circumstances. And you know, when I was admissions director at INSEAD, we would always get deferral requests. Yes, we refused most of them, but we did look through it in detail, right? We considered everyone went through the request, you know, try to understand the circumstances before giving a decision. And I'm sure the schools are doing that. Yeah. So, you know, they'll have to grant some deferrals, but they just they they just don't want to open the floodgates. Caroline, do you think that that schools will grant more deferrals now than usual or will they stick with their normal deferral policies? No, I think that I'm sure they're granting more deferrals. I mean, I've heard from one school that they are granting more deferrals. Uh Interesting. Than usual. I think, you know, and, and it was interesting that Kellogg, you know, you mentioned in your article, John, that, that they've made this move because they want to be empathetic with candidates. Well, they also need to be empathetic with admits, right? And and understand the challenges of their circumstances. And I think in practice, they, they will be. But they, you know, they're going to have to be strict with some people who, you know, don't have such a good case as others, right? So I think they're just going to take it on a case-by-case basis where they see that there's a good rationale for requesting that deferral. They will be more flexible than they have been in the past. Yeah, I think in general, people are feeling a sense of loss. If you're an applicant and now you're thinking, oh, wow, that program I so wanted to join and it's something I've been dreaming of for years, I get in. And now I might very well start the program online. That's a real downer. Or if you're a student, say you're a second year student, and you've worked on building these relationships, and this is your last time to seal them and to you know, make sure those bonds that you've created in the first half of the program will endure through a lifetime. And now you can't even see each other anymore. You can't even interact yeah. with each other anymore. You can't even graduate together anymore and celebrate. This is a tremendous sense of loss out there. That is also making people cranky. And I don't know that that can be replaced. Yeah, I think it's extremely tough on the graduating class. Because as you say, this, you know, their experience sort of fizzles out in a way that they hadn't expected. And, you know, they'll never get that time back again. So, you know, whilst they may continue with their education online, you don't have that same personal connection with your classmates. And at least for people coming into the programs now, you know, they will have had time to prepare themselves mentally for, for what to expect. But... It's really tough for, for the current students who had this sort of thrown on them overnight. 
And then you add to this the uncertainty in the job market. Now, if you're an MBA who did an internship and got an offer at the end of the summer and you took it, and so you have a full-time job waiting for you at graduation, you're in pretty good shape because I think there are going to be very few companies that claw back accepted offers from MBA graduates. They're pretty much in the bank. But if you are an MBA currently and you don't have an offer that you've accepted and you are maybe even doing an independent search for a job outside the MBA mainstream, like in venture capital, private equity, hedge funds, smaller companies, startups, early stage companies, you're in a much more vulnerable position. Also, you're in a vulnerable position if you're an international student in the U.S. right now because things are getting very bad. I think they're going to get worse when the government starts announcing the statistics that prove that we are in a very deep and severe recession. I think companies are going to claw back more to conserve cash and basically stop freeze-all hiring start layoffs in mass and do other things that companies do in severe recessions. So this is a very difficult job market to graduate into unless you already have an offer in your pocket. What advice do you two have for, let's say, someone who doesn't have the job offer right now? What do you do? I mean, I think you just start networking like crazy with that alumni network, even more so than than you used to, you may consider wanting to become like an independent contractor, right? Sort of saying like, look, you don't have to hire me now. I get it. You can't do benefits. You can't do full time. But what if I just do 20 hours a week, you know, as a contractor, right? So so the people who are pursuing those less structured career opportunities, they can almost use that flexibility to their advantage to say like, look, I let's figure out something that works for you to at least get their, you know, the proverbial foot in the door, and, you know, just try to be flexible with what you offer, you know, how, how you sort of structure and say, like, look, you know what, I'm okay without health insurance. I'm okay without, even if you really need it. <laughs> but, but just to sort of try to tide us over for a few yeah, months, no, that's hopefully, a good until idea. things, there's more certainty, hopefully. That's true. I mean, there is a belief that this is going to be a V-shaped recession, meaning very sharp, but then a rapid turnaround because it is related to a health crisis and not a, mm -hmm. a structural economic yeah. crisis. So it could very well be that this graduating class will have a tough time, but that the economy could bounce back fairly quickly in the new year once a vaccine occurs and it's clear that we've gotten over what likely will be a second wave of the pandemic. Caroline, I'm sure that, you know, from the admissions side, many people, let's face it, go to business school because of what's at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. And, and we're coming off a period where we've had incredible demand for MBA yes. graduates from schools. Yeah, for the best job market the, ever. Right. Some of the best MBA job markets that people have graduated in the last five seven, eight years since the Great Recession with record amounts of starting compensation, record numbers of employed at graduation and three months later. So coming out of that wonderland of abundance yeah, and now entering this, the bottom of the V curve has to be quite shocking. Yes, it is. It is. And it's so unexpected, right? No one saw this coming a few months back. So that's very tough to make that adjustment mentally. 
you know, I think students have to have a plan B and maybe even a plan C. It's difficult because you don't want to have, you know, a completely scattergun approach to your job search because, you know, if you're just applying for everything and anything, then you probably won't get the job because there'll be other people who are much more focused than you on a specific opportunity and therefore maybe better prepared for the interviews and so on and, and come across as a better candidate. So so students should you know, avoid panicking and just going for everything, but they, they need to be more open-minded about what they're going to do in the immediate term and you know, consider, as Maria said, being more flexible. Also, perhaps, you know, if they do have a heart set on a dream post-MBA job, maybe it's not something that's going to happen immediately post-MBA. Maybe you need to get another job first and continue working towards getting that dream job, you know, 12 months, 18 months, two years down the line doesn't mean that it's never going to happen it just might take you a bit longer so you know I think that that flexibility is important but also you know still staying focused because you know I've seen students who just you know and and when you're at business school you know your mind is open to so many different opportunities and avenues and so it's easy to get distracted by so many different potential paths that you could pursue but if you just apply for, for everything that, that comes up, then you probably won't come across as the best prepared candidate. Yeah, it's really true. And I think if there ever was a time to settle, I'm just going to say, as you said, settle. And then, you know, yeah. a year or two, market comes back, go look for the job that you really wanted. But don't be foolish in this environment because it's going to be very tricky for a lot of people. It really will be. And one thing that's interesting, too, about this, the potential rebound is that we are already starting to see little hints from what's happening in China that has already started reopening their economy. I think I saw the other day that one of the major luxury brands, when they they reopened their store for the first time in several months in Guangzhou, I think, and they had something like they sold something like $3.2 million. (laughs) Uh, It was like the biggest. There was so much pent up demand. And so that, you know, this is very different from, say, you know, in previous recessions where people are sort of holding on to their money. I mean, it was just people were just literally waiting and biding their time to jump back in. And I think a lot of us, you know, as soon as as soon as these restrictions lift, I think the vacations are going to be booked again or you know, rebooked. I think the purchases are going to start being made. So I I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to be a better scenario than previous recessions, I hope. Yeah. And I think what we need to remind everyone is that this says nothing about the value of the MBA. If anything, complications in the world, globalization, the impact of technology and how disruptive a force it has been, only reinforced the need for higher education for people who are better prepared, who can deal in even catastrophic situations and certainly in situations that are ambiguous when you don't have all the information to make a decision that makes you comfortable. You need to learn how to sort of navigate that world and an MBA helps you do that. Absolutely. It's more true than ever. So I guess we should wish our people out there good luck and, and, you know, take it easy. Have a little patience. I know this is a difficult time. I know people are cranky. People are worried. There's a lot of uncertainty. But if there's anything that all of us have learned, resiliency is an incredible trait and a great attribute of uh, someone who not only survives, but thrives through everything. So I'm hoping that people are resilient, they're patient, they're understanding, they have compassion for others. And while you may want a tuition refund because your program is now online, while you may be angry because you had to study for the GMAT and there may be 
uh, a few hundred applicants who might not, and they may or may not get into Kellogg. And while you may have to take the GMAT and not have scratch paper, you know, there are worse things in life. <laughs> there, are, there are worse things in life, but in the terms of the testing world, there's not much worse. <laughs> Uh, Maria, Caroline, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. And for all of you, thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to our weekly podcast called Business Casual. See you next week. (laughs) 